Hey, y'all. You're listening to Diagnosing Sitcoms and Movies, the DSM podcast. We help make mental health more comfortable by using Black movies and shows we know and love and culture to remove stigma. So join our convo with your host, Courtney Copeland, licensed mental health counselor. And Dr. B, licensed professional counselor. Courtney, it's on you. No, because I will do the entire song. <laughs> no! Why? How can you? That's the best! Like, wow. Way to go, this I know, but I didn't want to do the whole song. I felt like that would be a bit much. Hey. Ba 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 da ba ha. Better? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll take it. (laughs) If you cannot tell, we are going to be discussing the hit sitcom television series that aired for five seasons on the Fox Network from 93 to about 98. Um, The hit show Living Single. Did you know that they had only, that was half as many episodes as Friends? Uh, so did you know that Living Single was almost called Friends and that all of Friends is basically based off of Living Single? Well, I heard it was almost called My Girls. It was almost called a couple things that was kind of <laughs> whack. <laughs> and I'm glad they settled on Living Single. <laughs> Could you imagine like singing the Living Single song, but with talking about Friends or My Girls? So it'd be like, hey... Friends. Friends. Ooh, in a nice kind of <laughs> world. I'm glad I got my girl. Friends. Oh. Wow. You know. <laughs> okay, I'm glad it wasn't called Friends. But yes, I, I could see it's interesting because when people talk about Friends, I, I'm i like living single for me. When people so. start talking about Friends, I just kind of gloss over because I have nothing to add to the conversation. Because why would I watch Friends when I had Living Single? What are uh, some of your favorite quotables from the everything goodness that is Living Single? Well, I think, of course, I can't, I I guess it's not a quotable. Maybe it is. The song, the entire song, the introduction, like, because for me, it's like when you have um, a sitcom, Unless there's a certain catchphrase like uh, Sinclair's "woo woo," uh, like, uh, ma'am, it's three times. It's "woo woo 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 woo." woo. You're right, my bad. Um, and then the constant badgering between Max and um, Kyle, like there really aren't like hardcore like quotables that I that I have other than "woo okay, woo, so woo, 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 woo woo woo." I agree. And disagree. So yes, the sitcom is everything. And that will go as the first quotable, of course, because (laughs) clearly I couldn't even keep myself from doing the entire song. So I just did nothing. Um, But I feel like woo, woo, woo is a great quotable. Really? Wow. I feel like that counts. Yes. And then I feel like, but I also feel like it is not the only. How can you woo, woo, woo without smooches? Oh my God! Yes, how could I forget that? I don't See, that's know. why. That's why. That's we why do this we're together. a team. Yes, because hmm. <laughs> in the '90s kind of world, <laughs> glad I got my girl. <laughs> Whatever this life gets tough, mm. you got to fight with. Yeah. See, I'm starting. <laughs> True blue and tight like glue. <laughs> tight like glue. Cross arms. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to ask, because I feel like these are two very separate, very different questions. Mm -hmm. I do not want to know who your favorite was. I want to know who do you feel like embodies you most in your friend group? 
So in your friend group, think of yourself and four of your um, friends. Well, that would be three more of your friends. But who would embody you? This is a really hard question because it seems like I'm just so complex mm. as an individual. But mm. There are many characteristics that I feel like I can pull away from. But if I had to say, I think it would be between Khadijah and Sinclair. Khadijah in the sense that I do, when, I, when it's time for me to carry myself very seriously and focus and get my ish done, like I can be definitely Khadijah-like. But at my root core, I'm Sinclair. I just, <laughs> yeah, I'm Sinclair. Mm-hmm. I'm Sinclair with a little bit of Khadijah because, you know, in order for me to get things done, I got to like act like I know what I'm doing. Yeah, tap into it. And yeah. so I asked that question purposefully because that is basically what the creator, Yvette Lee Bowser, basically said. She mm-hmm. said that uh, she, the, the women represented four different sides of herself. Mm. And so she said, I've been as ditzy as Sinclair, as superficial as Regine, as yes. bitter as Max, and as focused and as driven as Khadijah. Yes. And so I definitely feel the same way. I feel like all four come together to form us as who we are as women. Mm-hmm. But in our, fro- in our friend groups, we all... Oh, yeah. We can identify who's who. Like, so then if you I think, think about it, we can identify yeah, who's who. <laughs> I think so. But then it's like, okay, so if you were to like make it like 20 like like say 25 for each person like you know you could you would do the percentage basically for how much what percentage like do you have of each of the character and I can see different parts of my life where that percentage is like shifts you know Mm -hmm. based off of like you know where I'm at developmentally well so what about you I think in my friend group like if I look at my friend group I would be Khadijah. But I'm not mm-hmm. happy about that. <laughs> Why? Why? I mean, yes, Khadijah had the bomb outfits. She had all the cutest oh, boyfriends. Man, she yes. had, Khadijah had it. But she also was a workaholic who couldn't enjoy life because she was masking her depression by throwing herself into her work. But like like you said, I probably have a balance of Sinclair because we both know that I am super goofy and ditzy and real clumsy too. Okay, so rewatching the show um, mm-hmm. to prepare, did it take you back to, I guess, tween? No, this would be younger than that. This show started, show started in 93. Young Dr. Rosie? <laughs> you mean three-year-old Dr. Rosie? <laughs> Yes, it does. Um, well, I think for me, it's more so like when it was um, like just regular, like uh, reruns, kind of like mm-hmm. with Martin and stuff. Like, so you're yeah. Um, and it does take me back to like, you know, coming inside after playing inside, outside all day, smelling like outside and smelling the fried chicken and macaroni and cheese being cooked. Oh, wow. You're setting a whole scene. And why, and like, yeah. And then watching it and then the smell of the food is like what brings memory that comes to mind when I think of living single. It's like the nighttime. It was like the nighttime sitcom that everybody would watch together because it, it was like, it was age appropriate enough for the young people, like the, the kids to kind of watch because it wasn't anything too aggressive or inappropriate. Um, but then at the same time, like the adults were like cracking up because they understood the jokes and everything. So it was something that everybody could could watch together. Forever there now. were definitely a couple jokes that watching it now, I was like, yeah, that probably didn't make any sense to me as a right. child. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like that's what's so fun about doing this is that you get to like watch stuff and then you're like, oh, my God, this is hilarious. Like, oh, where, where was I? Like. And then you understood some parts of it as a kid, but the extra layer of it is even more funny. Agreed. I just was in love with the entire show. It like reinvigorated my love for everything that is living single. Um, On top of every single cast member doing a bomb job, like 
playing the hell out of their characters, being funny, the comedic timing of the show, the outfits on the show, oh all God. of Regine's wigs, just yes. everything. Just mm-hmm. the show, it's just... It was one of those, ah, it's chef's one of those kiss. times <laughs> where I'm like, damn, I want to remake that outfit now because you know that some of the stuff is kind of there, especially some of Regine's outfits, her little fits. You could definitely get it uh, now because, you know, they're doing the, like the 90s kind of vibe or whatever. And then even with, um, with Khadija, like some of her stuff. And then I loved her shirts. I love that she like rocked like black apparel, you know, um, black designers. And so shouts out to her for doing that. That was dope. Shouts out to her for just being awesome. Queen Latifah is all of the things. And we I know we've said it before in other episodes, but she deserves so much more. (laughs) She's given us so much over the years. (laughs) She has. Insert round of applause. So what about you? What are some what are some memories that come to mind when you rewatched or saw this show? I definitely feel like it it went on a couple different networks. So I I definitely agree with you. It does remind me of, of like nighttime because for some it must have came on during prime time when like it was actually yes. coming on. Um <laughs> yes. so I definitely remember like me, my mom, my aunts probably my grandmother too, all sitting and watching the show together and it just being like a feel good show. And then watching it again, like, like you were saying with the reruns and laughing more because as I got older, I understood the different pieces more and more. And then watching it as a like almost person that could be a character on the show with being an adult, being a working professional, like all of those things going on at the same time and it meaning even more now than it did as a kid. Just, Mm -hmm. just greatness. I love it when things age well. I know it really does age very well. And like, even now looking at Maxine and her suits, I was like, yes, And it was so good. Again, this was so important to see that as a young Black girl, to see a Black woman, you know, dressed to the nine, all of them looking great. Even even Sinclair and her little... I hated Sinclair's outfits. I hated them. Rustic. It's very rustic. um, What is it? Vintage. Very um, 90s boho chic. Yes, you better. Yes, that's it, girl. Boho chic. Mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it fit her character so well. So right. I appreciated it because it served its purpose and mm-hmm. it clearly defined and fit who she was as a character. So I think that was great. And yeah. Max was just my favorite. Max has always been my favorite. <laughs> I don't know if it's because she's the funniest. She was, though. <laughs> she always had something to say, bruh. Like, them comebacks on point. The clapback game was so serious. And just yeah. the timing of it was great. And her outfits. Her and Khadija's outfits. Like, whoever was the, the costuming director, they deserve an award if they haven't already gotten one. Yes, they do, because they really did a great job with all of their outfits. Um, And then, like, I don't know, how did you feel about um, the guys? I mean, Kyle dressed very well. Um, I think Overton... With the Baca lapel. (laughs) The episode where he sent Overton to his tailor. (laughs) A good pleat is supposed to gallop down the thigh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not struggle out the brakes and collapse. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. Like he was like, I felt like his his persona just, it, it required a certain type of outfit. Um, and right. I also appreciate the Afrocentricism that was in his wardrobe as well. Um, mm. He said that that was something that, well, the actor T.C. Carson said that that was something that the people on the show recognized of him. And then started incorporating incorporating that into his character's wardrobe as well. And so I thought that was dope. Yes. Definitely. Way to be super Black at all times. And then Overton's just, he, that's how a handyman should dress. <laughs> that's true. So um, I was um, look, thinking about talking about Kyle and just like um, his persona. 
like he would still uh, like get even or get on Max in such a classy way. Like she might get around. It was just weird how they would go back and forth with each other. But it was it made the show. Or just the, the the creativity that has to go into coming up with the ways to insult someone. Like I only have so many. They just they just kept them coming and kept them fresh. And the fact that you could call somebody like ugly with such class and dignity, even right. though you know that you find that person irresistibly attractive. <laughs> <laughs> Right. That so takes skill. It, right. And so it makes me think like, so if someone ever is like that um, towards someone, does that mean that they really like them low key? I mean, that's how, wasn't that how you didn't do that in middle school? Yeah. But I don't know. Not really. You were shut up, stupid. Like you weren't mean to the boy that you had a crush on. Ooh. Just me? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I guess I was too yeah. far back. Like, <laughs> no, because like I just, I just, thought, I just felt like I was a friendly kid. So yeah, is it okay to date a friend's ex or someone that they had a crush on? Not based off my experience. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> Never ended well on the show either. <laughs> Shoot, because then it hurts. It just hurts a person's feelings, you know. When I say the person talking about me, it hurt my feelings. Gotcha. So lots of girl code was addressed on the show. Lots of guy code too, actually. Um, And you were talking about Kyle. I definitely, um, I didn't really have anything to diagnose him with. um, Aside from, we see that he was heavily bullied as a child. And he had possibly a traumatic response to that and became an emotional eater. (laughs) <laughs> because he used to be husky when he was younger. Uh, but it sounds like he developed past and grew out of that and then created who we know as Kyle Barker that we see on the show. Uh, <laughs> I so, definitely... Go ahead. Sorry to cut you off, but you, the histrionic, is that what, is that what, am I saying it right? Histrionic, yeah. Histrionic. Could you, do you think that would be applied to him? Since based off, based off of his trauma that he had to develop this persona to, to survive or thrive as an adult. Okay, so histrionic personality disorder is indicated by at least um, five or more of the following. Uncomfortable in situations in which he or she is not the center of attention. Interactions with others is often characterized by inappropriate, sexually seductive, or provocative behavior. Mm-hmm. Displays rapidly shifting and shallow expressions of emotion consistently uses physical appearance to draw attention to self, has a style of speech that is excessively impressionistic and lacking in detail, self-dramatization, theatricality, and exaggerated expression of emotion, super yes, (laughs) is suggestible, easily influenced by others or circumstances. We can kind of see that in um, like the situations at work where he would do so much to- Yes, impress his boss Mm -hmm. and everything, yeah. Um, and then considers relationships to be more intimate than they actually are. So that that definitely ties in. A lot of those, a few of those criteria ties in his reaction and relationship with Maxine. So mm-hmm. I think definitely I think we have I think we can give that to, to Kyle. We have a diagnosis for Kyle. Histrionic yes. personality disorder. Histrionic personality disorder, yes. So I have a treatment book that I'm using recent, have been using recently, the complete adult psychotherapy treatment planner. And, you know, there is a a lot of like the disorders that we talk about on the show in here, but I wonder how would you work with something like that as far as prognosis? I I think that his prognosis would be positive just because of the growth that we see him have on the show. Because if you remember like the first season, them first couple episodes, like, yeah, he had some, some misogynistic like ideas, but he became much more feminist in the later seasons and the later episodes because he was super just going after women and all of you want me and all of that the first couple of seasons to the point where he was almost kind of lame and then Mm -hmm. he went through the transition and he then he became like the dapper dan the cool person the then actually really having ladies instead of just talking about how he was trying to get the ladies and just trying to bag them but actually Mm -hmm. having girl women that he could call like when he was trying to make max jealous he actually had 
women companions that he could reach out to because he had grown and his relationships had changed a little bit with the women that he was interacting with. And then he was able to stand up for Regine when the boss was lying and saying that he was doing all of this with Regine in real life. He couldn't even get a kiss on the lips. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then he called them bitches and Queen Latifah was ready to set it off. <laughs> <laughs> but Kyle handled yes. it for him, them. <laughs> we didn't need her to get shot up again, like, like said it all. Wow. 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 It escalated quickly. Mm-mm. I don't want to think about her getting shot up. In my mind, she was she doing won that fight. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She mm-hmm. was like, shoot him up. Bang, bang. Trigger tied sheep. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But what work would you want to, if uh, Kyle was your client, what work would you see yourself doing with him? Um, a lot of the work that I would see myself doing with him, like learning to express himself in his in the most authentic way, um, true to, to him, you know? Um, so a lot of like self-reflecting, uh, a lot of like type of journaling um, so that he can still express himself without having to be the center of attention in most situations. That's kind of where I would start with him because I'm thinking like with personality disorder, you want to keep an eye out and make sure like there's no substance use and things like that involved because that's usually a common type of coping mechanism. So, so understanding what his coping mechanisms are and making sure they're appropriate and healthy, that's pretty much it. Um, I think that One thing that I would like to do with him, because he does a lot of, I should be doing this. I need to be doing this. Kind of look at where those limits came from, how he's placing them on himself, and how it's almost like limiting him from being his most authentic self, like you were saying, in that self-actualization. Because even when his brother came to town and was like, I'm going to Africa. And he was like, you're just shopping at the window of Africa. Mm. I'm going because I felt like Kyle put a lot of limits on himself because where he felt like he should be. He wouldn't take a however long trip to Africa because he should be doing work and progressing in his career. He couldn't take that long off in order to do that because he needed to be partner by the time he was 30. He needed to be in a stable relationship by the time he was 30. And I think that that too is kind of why he had that like crisis when at on his 30th birthday is because he felt like he was putting all of these all of this pressure on himself all of these limits on himself on what he needed he felt like he needed to be doing by a certain time and that's just not the way it worked out that he couldn't see all of the positives that he actually had accomplished so we would have to look at the celebrating small successes really he has a lot of big successes so he can even celebrate big successes i guess i just thought i'd be in a different place by now so you bought your ass to a laundromat? <laughs> no, my goal was to be vice president of the brokerage firm by the time I was 30. I mean, you know, I've been a wonderkin my whole life. I mean, I was the youngest in my class at business school. I was the youngest broker to get a multi-million dollar account. Hell, I was doing my parents' taxes by the time I was 14. Now I'm just a moderately successful, impeccably dressed, <laughs> middle-aged man. What's wrong with that? It's not Kyle Barker. At least not the Kyle Barker I want to be. Where he is at the age that he was at, not a lot of people are. Especially as a uh, young African-American male in the 90s moving up the corporate ladder. That's a large success to be able to celebrate all of the hard work that you've done. Um, And it seems like that him and his position as far as like social mobility started to take over his identity. Like if you look, he didn't carry a pocket watch. He carried a pocket calculator. So that was his perception of time. (laughs) I feel like that says a lot. And so I would definitely want to look at what limits he's placed on himself, allowing him, giving him, giving himself permission to be his fuller self and express um, him just himself more deeply. And I think that we could even do a little bit of spirituality work with him because he is so tied to, um, the importance of Afrocentricity and what that means to him and look at that and look at, okay, that the representation of time here and how are you applying that in your life? And I don't know why, but I will make him do something with the song just so I can get him to sing. Cause Kyle could sing girl when he stuck my funny Valentine time to max and she melted Ooh. like the girl off of five heartbeats. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would get it was everything. <laughs> yes, yes. 
cool. Who would so, you like to go to next? Are we staying with the men or are we jumping around? What are we doing? We can do OB. <laughs> I love OB. Yeah. I know. He's so he sweet. was so sweet. <laughs> he was. He was so sweet. And so just, um, it was just himself. It was just like, and that's, I think that's what's so like cool about him. Like he, mm-hmm. he never tried to be anything extra. It was just like, I'm just this guy who knows how to fix things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's just how he came out. I'm just a normal guy who know how to fix things and loves Sinclair. That's it. Yep. Expert handyman will service your needs. You want me to what? <laughs> I'm sorry, but shouldn't your uh, husband be fixing that? Well, maybe your husband's not handy like you. Because Overton was, um, but I feel like he had so much going for him. And that is why everyone is always like, oh, I just love Obi because he knew what he was good at. So he had a clearly defined um, career path from the beginning and he was happy with what he did. So anytime that somebody takes um, enjoyment and pleasure in their work, you can like see that it exudes from them. He had the person that he wanted to be with. He was happy with Sinclair. She mm-hmm. toasted his buns. Okay, so... <laughs> Toasted. <laughs> so he was secure in their relationship. She made him happy. I I do wish though that I could come up with a new nickname, pet name for my significant other every time I saw them that matched the occasion of when I saw them. Like they had a different nickname for each other every time they greeted each other. What's an example? I can't remember. Like if they it, on Thanksgiving episode, they had one related to food. When they got engaged, it was the bride to be and soon to be Sutor. Like it was, they had something for every single time they saw each other, <laughs> and it fit whatever was going on at the time. Um, I don't think that my brain works that way. I don't. I'm not that cute and cuddly yet. That is my aspiration to get there. Um, <laughs> also, because you don't have someone writing your lines every time you walk in. <laughs> You know what? That might have something to do with it, too. I think so. (laughs) I need to hire writers. (laughs) So they can write out your interactions with everyone. Yes. (laughs) That would fix so much uh, problematic experiences I've had in my life. Um, (laughs) But because he was his, his truest self at all times and you got whatever he was in that moment, the only diagnosis that I have for him his specific phobia <laughs> for his fear of clowns, which would be chlorophobia. Uh, people with chlorophobia may experience nausea, sweating, and difficulty breathing when they see a clown, exhibited by uh, his experiences whenever Sinclair had to be Sinclair Bell, the clown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Not and when he tells the story about what happened... <laughs> How he went head first into the back end of Large the Elephant. <laughs> he said, all I could see was taking me out with a tiny shuffles. <laughs> oh no. Poor Obi. <laughs> but it did seem like um Kyle and Sinclair being the supportive um circle that he had, they were doing a good job at trying to treat his um, <laughs> his chlorophobia with exposure therapy, which mm-hmm. is something that is a common um, treatment method for individuals with phobia disorders. And that is kind of exposing them little bit, little mm-hmm. bit by little bit until they get to a place where they can be okay with the experience. Um, I don't think I've ever had to deal with a phobia or like a clown phobia either. But according to my treatment book, like you said, book. no, it's amazing. It's an amazing book uh, for phobia. You, your long-term goals with this treat with this particular client um, would include to reduce the fear of the specific phobia object or situation, like you mentioned, like increasing their um, in interaction with it so that they become more comfortable and eliminate the avoidance of it because it seems like he avoided clowns at all costs. So. Um, again, just trying to make it more common for him to have interactions with those things. 
And it did seem like he was trying that. And I think that speaks to his supportive nature. Like when she had to dress up like Sinclair Bell, he was still trying come Um, (laughs) as much as he could. I wonder if they like role played a sexy situation with her being Sinclair Bell, if that would help. Like if that would fast track the exposure. No, because then that's just going to cross into another part of his life that's going to be traumatized. What happens if something goes wrong with the sexual intercourse on that day? I don't know. I don't know. I, okay, according to my therapeutic interventions, that's not going to work. We're not going to okay. do that. <laughs> Trying to be creative. <laughs> no room for creativity in this room. <laughs> not today. Gotcha. Okay. So then let's move on to Sinclair. Let's get to the ladies. Yes. Um, I didn't really have anything for her. I just figured that she was like, I, I would say maybe attachment disorder, but that's about it. And, and even that is a stretch because I'm not, I'm not, I'm probably not using that diagnosis correctly. But what do you have? Um, I did think about how she did rely on Khadijah a lot and then it moved to Overton. But um, as the show progressed, she was able to also then grow from that as well and start to be able to speak up for herself and express herself when she felt a certain way. So then I kind of felt like that didn't fit. But because she was so clumsy (laughs) and she used to hurt herself so much at Flavor, I diagnosed her with developmental coordination disorder. Oh. (laughs) So that is the acquisition execution of coordinated motor skills is substantially below that expected given the individual's chronological age and opportunity for skill, learning, and use. Difficulties are manifested such as clumsiness, dropping or bumping into objects, as well as slowness and inaccuracy of performing motor skills, um, catching an object using scissors or cutlery, participation in sports, I remember when they went rollerblading and she had on the one rollerblade. Oh, God. Because she needed her foot to be a stock with the other one. All of the times that she, um, they talked about how she wasn't allowed to staple or else she would have to go to the ER. Um, the time she got her braids yes. caught in the Xerox, no, in the fax machine. Okay, okay. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Or how she forgot to schedule the one celebrity that they were supposed to have for Flav on their cover. I get it. (laughs) She's a a screw up. (laughs) Just the clumsiness. The clumsiness for me is (laughs) clumsiness for me. Which is why I diagnosed her with developmental um, coordination disorder. I guess we could have her work with an occupational therapist um, (laughs) building those skills. Other than that, like you say, that's out of my pay grade. Um, okay, she's going to have to get that. That is. Mm. But I do think that working with the occupational therapist would definitely help. That would help her with those um, coordination skills, being able to do more tactile things like scissors. Possibly we could build up to sports. Sports is a lofty goal. But her being able to mm. function in her day-to-day uh, occupational tasks, such as using a stapler. And typing and because know, she could type on a typewriter, but not on a computer. It was weird. Or the other way around. Either or. I don't know. Because then it just makes me think, okay, so uh, Obi and Sinclair are going to get together. And they're going to, I mean, they're together and they're going to have their children at some point. How can you be trusted as a mom? And you can't <laughs> be trusted with a pair of scissors. <laughs> <laughs> She just has to find her skill set, things that she will be responsible for and things that Obi will be responsible for. That's why she left Flavor, became an actress, because she says, you know what? There's no stapling as an actress. And if I do have to staple as an actress, I can act and pretend that I'm doing it. So that's a little bit safer. So then maybe as a parent, she could just pick and choose. You know what? Potty training. Obi, mm-hmm. that might be all you. <laughs> I think she would still make a great mom. I, she I just do too. Doesn't, she just doesn't need to hold sharp objects. She could like, woo she was so nurturing she was she was I take it back I take it back I think that she can be very very caring and nurturing we just need to put the sharp objects away and you know we're baby proofing the apart the Mm -hmm. the home not for Sinclair I mean not for the baby but for Sinclair so a little bit of both a little bit of both both. and that's okay Mm -hmm. as long as as long as they know and I think Overton knows you know and I think he'll build something and create something for the both of them 
Mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. function together well. So they're okay and as a she's couple. She's a good support system. Like yeah. her, the people around her. Like when she had them nunchucks, Kyle took them out her hands and said, no, that's not for you. Mm-mm. Right, exactly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it takes a village. It takes a village. Her village just might need to be a little bit more hands-on. That's all. <laughs> we all had that one friend. He's <laughs> 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 just like, I got it. Don't worry, don't worry about it. I got it. <laughs> Who else is on our list? Um, let's go to ooh, let's go to Regine and all of her wigs. Yes, she was fly. She was fly. I say um the original bad and bougie. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, she sure was. And I would say, um, unfortunately, her her um disorder would be narcissism, narcissistic. Unfortunately, though, I feel like it it, it made it made her hurt. It did. <laughs> so um do you want me to go through the criteria or you got it you can go through it okay so for narcissistic personality disorder it is a pervasive pattern of grandiosity in fantasy or behavior need for admiration and lack of empathy some of the criteria that definitely apply for her is the grandiose sense of self-importance exaggerates achievements and talents expects to be recognized as superior without commensurate achievements like the one time when she said that she was doing so much on the show and find out she's the older eater girl (laughs) i know right or like making herself seem like she was someone important you know just so she could fit in with a group of women you know and the women's league yes (laughs) Is, pre- is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. Definitely. Yes. Um, believes that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or should associate with other special or high status people or institutions. Oh my gosh, that is Regine. Like, <laughs> I feel like I'm not with you common folk. I'm going to Ghana <laughs> today. Like Regine, where, why do you have on this ball gown? Oh, I have a date tonight with the prince of Abu Dhabi. Like, what? <laughs> How? And she just associated with her, associated herself with all these people. And like, she really wasn't even in the lifestyle. Yeah. Um, also requires excessive admiration, has a sense of entitlement, unreasonable expectations of especially favorable treatment or automatic compliance with his or her expectations. <laughs> she had that boyfriend and she was like, he already does everything I tell him to do. So there's no room for growth. <laughs> <laughs> um, takes advantage of others to achieve his or her, her in, own ends. Is envious of others or this one I think more so applies to her. Believes that others are envious of him or her. She always swore Max was hating on her. I mean, Max did make fun of her, but it was never. I don't think it's like to the point of like, oh, I envy you. Max is like, girl, get a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like even at the beginning, like when they were singing "My Girl in the Bathroom," she yes. remixed it and said, "I got so much money that y'all envy me." Girl, that ain't that is not what they said. Mm-mm. I mean, David Ruffin might have been trying to imply that. <laughs> as, <laughs> there's possibility that he might have said that. <laughs> Very true. Very true. But that wasn't his bar. So, <laughs> <laughs> but my favorite regime moment. I think there's two. Mm-hmm. So the first one was when Heavy D, was who, who was her ex, was getting married to Vivica Fox. Mm. And it turns out that Vivica was messing with the best man and they catch him and then they end up about to fight. Yes. <laughs> and she snatched her wig off and said, well, let's take it outside. <laughs> and she walk up, combing her wig. <laughs> it's okay, I got it. I got you. I got it, girl. I got you, girl. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you always need a friend like that. Hold my wig. Mm-hmm. I got it. I got it. <laughs> and then um, when Scooter came back and <laughs> Scooter, Black Lightning, whatever you want to call him. Uh, when Scooter came back and he brought Regine that ponytail, and he was like, she was like, this is Huber here. Y'all, she used conditioner. I got to go put this on right now. <laughs> We have come a long way, ladies, with our hair. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Like, that synthetic stuff is just so different than the human. Oh, it's just luscious. (laughs) We're just going to move on. All right, next up. (laughs) Let's go to Khadijah. 
Khadija, yes. Um, you know, I did not want to diagnose her with anything because she's just fantastic because I see a lot of myself in her. And I'm like, I'm fantastic. You can be fantastic and still have some things that you need to work on. They nope. That can exist at the same time. Nope, none of my book. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> is that what you tell your clients? No. Your life is terrible. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, no, no, no. No, I do see a lot of myself in Khadija. And I see that the same way that I dealt with my depression is kind of how she's dealing with hers. And so um, making sure like, you know, she's constantly busy um, and, you know, trying to fulfill or uh, like work her way into what she sees as ideal. But then because it's none of what she's going to ever accomplish is going to fulfill what she really needs to work on and the, and the sadness and the issues that she's experiencing internally. So she's just going to keep pushing and move, like, you know, trying to get her goals met, um, but feeling empty. And so that could lead to, I think that's what has led to some of her depression. But yeah, what are your thoughts? Completely and fully degree. I definitely diagnosed her with, um, major depressive disorder. And they even, when she had the episode where she did go to the psychiatrist, Jasmine Guy, she, that's what she diagnosed her with as well. So I was saying concurrent with that, but it's evident throughout the show. And I think that a lot of those feeling of emptiness and um, finding, trying to find her worth in her work, I think comes from her issues that she has with her father leaving and then having another family. And investing so much time and so much energy into her sister, who was played by Tatiana Ali, and her not receiving that, like, at all, left her with questioning her sense of self-worth and that feeling of emptiness that she tried to fulfill with different things until she, I think that she did get to the point where she saw, though, that I am replacing it with work. I'm keeping myself busy. If, if I build up the, and feeling like if I build up flavor, then that means that I'm getting better and seeing that that wasn't necessarily the case or it's not um, finding fulfillment in a relationship and how that wasn't working for her. And I think that she really got to a place where she was like, no, it's me. I'm working on me. And I think that's why at the end of the episode, she was able to work less hours at Flavor and engage more with her friends. Um, when they was doing a doo-wop episode, she was able to put her computer down and come and dance with them. Mm-hmm. And in the final episode, she was able to leave with Scooter. Like that was the relationship that she wanted and she saw that it didn't need to fit in a certain box for it to be okay. And she was able to just go and enjoy that moment instead of reflecting on how it didn't fit into what she needed it to be. Yeah. But I also want to say that, you know, her being a newspaper editor and creator um, was amazing and, and, you know, Mm -hmm. it being Black um, mm-hmm. And getting to that level. And I remember there was an episode where uh, she was dating a doctor. And Dr. She went, Charles. Yeah, and she went to that to that ball with him. And I, I never forget that episode because of how they treated her and tried to diminish something that she's worked so hard to do, you know. And it was just like, oh, that, oh, your project. Or, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just like, don't insult her. I'm sure she needs all her copies for the hood. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, they're just like rude about it. And it was just like, they didn't see the hard work, you know, that we as an audience right. saw. Right. You know, and the type of dedication it takes to do something like that. And so um, I really empathize with her in that episode. And I just, I think that it's great that she was able to create something so beautifully out of even just being in a, in a depressive state sometimes. And sometimes and I, you go through that. Very yeah. true. And I think that that is an issue for, especially for striving and entrepreneurial, not even just entrepreneurial, but just women who are career driven mm-hmm. and how that can go misdiagnosed in them because you are overcoming so many other things like imposter syndrome. and that sense of emptiness could be a serious something as far as major depressive, or it could be just something that where society is telling you that what you're doing does not equal up to what somebody else of another skin tone might be doing. And it's not the same because you're Black. Yeah. Your magazine doesn't hold as much worth because it's urban. 
Like, mm-hmm. so while you're working through those feelings of worthiness, the world is perpetuating that that emptiness by telling you that you're not worth, you're not just as worthy as everyone else. What you do doesn't matter as much as ever as everyone else, and not everyone else, white people, but um, or people with money, like because your magazine isn't a top seller or it's not Newsweek or the time, then it doesn't matter. Like just, we experience so much um, devaluing of the things that we do. And I think that that's something that we often internalize and self-deprecate and say, oh, well, I'm working on this, but you know, it's just something small or this is just something I'm doing on the side. We turn our passions into projects where they're saying, oh, that's just a project that you do. I think that we often do that to ourselves and say, oh, this is just something small that I'm worried. It's just a project. As opposed to if we had the opportunity to not be devalued by society, we could look at the things that we're doing as great and celebrate our successes. We could look at the different things that we have going on and see how we are basically killing it as opposed to I'm struggling and I can't stay above water because I have so many pots going. And not seeing that how our ability to do all of these different things is because we're just fucking rock stars and Black women are everything. And (laughs) God really looked out and making us everything. Yeah, I mean, and I think, like, I agree with everything you said. And and especially, like, as, um, you know, Black people, we naturally feel um, a sense of hopelessness and worthlessness, um, especially, like, with the things that our families and, you know, our society, what we, mm-hmm. what we go through. And so um, I think we all have some, some underlying symptoms and um, experiences with depression. Some were able to move along without very much help with, you know, therapy and medication. Others, we, we sit here a little longer, you know, mm-hmm. especially when you, um, yeah, when you, when you just, aren't able to really call it for what it is and work through it. So you just kind of set it aside or you, you pile things on it instead of, you know, dealing with it. And so, yeah, I think Khadija um, has a good prognosis. I feel like, you know, a lot of it would just pretty much making sure that um, she's engaging in self-care, making sure that she's taking care of herself um, by putting herself first in a lot of um, circumstances, you know, um, I know that she's kind of like the go-to person for the group, the friend group, um, but also recognizing that she doesn't necessarily have to be the hero for them all the time. Yes, Khadija is like the the image that I see when people are like, check on that strong friend mm-hmm. and make sure they're okay. It's basically in my mind, Khadija. And yeah. I know a lot of people might see themselves as the strong friend who is taking care of others. And because... That is, we come from a collective, a collectivistic culture where we do want to make sure that everyone around us is good and we feel good if our others around us are good. That need, like you said, to take care of yourself just as prioritizing yourself just as much as you prioritize others and giving yourself the, the, the respect that you deserve in taking care of yourself. And that's one thing that I am glad that Kadisha had the support of her friends and was able to talk to them. And they felt comfortable telling her like when stuff had got real bad where she wasn't sleeping and she had extra jobs and stuff was going on and she was crying all the time. Her friends were able to tell her that this is getting to a point where it's not okay. You need extra help. And one thing that um, I did want to highlight, though, is that Kadisha had a certain level of support. And sometimes, especially for um people who might not have that strong uh, of a friend group, like if you move to a different city while you're working on your career, or sometimes for men who it's not as acceptable for them to express themselves to their friends as much. I get worried about people who don't have certain levels of supports. And so I was happy that Khadija, if, if she was my client, you know, she had that certain level of support. She had a strong family connection with her mom and her Nana and uh, her and Sinclair. And then that circle of friends around her that always acts um, as almost a buffer to help support people. OK, so last but not least, well, in, in the larger scope of um, our main characters, we have Maxine. Our favorite. I just love her. I just, she's so pretty and she had braids and I just, she's just everything. (laughs) Right. The Maverick, Maxine Shaw, attorney at law. Uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> I, even in all her greatness, I diagnosed her with borderline personality disorder. Again, I think it is what uh, helped push her to a lot of her greatness and made her character so exaggerated. But yeah, I still think I still diagnosed her with borderline. <laughs> you um, agree? You disagree? Or we need to go through it? Yeah, I agree. I agree. So for Maxi with borderline personality disorder, it is a pervasive pattern of instability of interpersonal relationships, self-image and affects and marked impulsivity beginning in early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts. So for her, the criteria that fit uh, her character, I had frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. And I felt like she purposefully pushed people away and didn't let them get close. So she she didn't have the opportunity to feel abandoned. Mm -hmm. And I think that that came from um, those weird interactions that she had with her mom. Like the episode where her mom came to town and they had like a awkward relationship that they had to kind of build and work on. A pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships characterized by alternating between extremes of idealization and de-evaluation, which is basically her and Kyle. Yep. Basically. <laughs> hey, I love you. I hate you. I love you. I hate you. You're ugly. You're beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's be together. No. <laughs> let's be together. Yeah. That's him. Impulsivity in at least two areas that are potentially self-damaging. And for hers, that would be um, her sex life with multiple partners and binge eating. Because, girl, she could put it away. But she never gained weight. Ever. She was this big. That's because she had a hot metabolism. It's because she she, she ate that much. Like, there's there's no way. Like, (laughs) I think the amount that she ate kept her metabolism high. It was Mm -hmm. sustaining itself. Chronic feelings of emptiness. And I think that when, especially when she lost her job and that really feeling lost and not knowing who she was outside of being Maxine Shaw, attorney at law, um, Mm -hmm. and trying to fill it with different things. And then once we get later into the seasons of her wanting to have a baby because she felt like that was something that would help complete her because she wasn't complete, that all went together. And then inappropriate, intense anger or difficulty controlling anger displayed by frequent displays of temper, constant anger, or reoccurring physical fights. Oh, Which makes me regime. think of her. Yep. <laughs> that's Regine all day. Yeah. But Regine would talk all the shit. She would. You are a virus with braids. <laughs> and you're a leprechaun with a weave. But Regine won't no punk. She'd be ready for whatever. <laughs> she, you know what? It was like Regine knew that Max had a button and she knew exactly when to press that button. And only Regine knew it. And only Regine could do it. <laughs> like, actually, and Kyle had his own little button, you know? And so they would both kind of like, you know, pick and poke at her <laughs> at any given time. And yeah, I mean, I guess that to me, I think that was a cause or, you know, a, a direct reaction to. Or, you know, her having a anger. I wouldn't call it inappropriate, but... That's how she threw Rachel through the banister? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> okay. You're right. You're right. Just saying. <laughs> okay, I agree. I agree. What would you like to work on if Maxine was your client? We got to work through that anger. Can't be throwing people through banisters. So. Really, though, with everything that she had going on, I almost feel like the anger is the least of her concerns. For real, for real. Um, you know, again, just working on that self-worth, building a sense of hope, um, hope and working on finding ways to cope with certain uh, emotions, right? Um, and I think that even if... With, with Regine, it felt like she didn't have, she didn't show an array of emotion because it seemed like her primary emotion was anger. Like, you know, other than her baseline, it seemed like the the reaction to certain events would be to be angry um, or be irritated, you know, just working through how to 
cope with that, how to prevent yourself from prevent herself from getting to the point of being irritated or angry in situations that don't necessarily cause for such an emotional outburst, (laughs) you know, and realizing that that she has the power of her emotions and that these individuals don't she's giving them more power over her over her emotions than they should have. Right. I definitely feel like the anger was just a defense mechanism for everything that she had else going on. And really, I would like to work with her and Kyle as a couple. Oh, that would be so much fun, especially because of their communication. And they really, they got to a point where Kyle was like past the snipes and past, you know, all of the extra. And he really just wanted to build with her. And she just wasn't at a place where she could trust herself and trust the relationship yet to express that kind of vulnerability. And so I think that they would be a very fun couple to work with. I have one more diagnosis. (laughs) So you remember Ivan? Fine Ivan that was in love with Kadisha that worked that flavor. Yes. Yes. (laughs) What would you diagnose him with? So I diagnosed Ivan with his fine self. I love Bumper in every show that he was in in the (laughs) 90s. I diagnosed him with delusional (laughs) disorder. Oh, why? (laughs) The uh, erotomanic type. Because. (laughs) So, yeah. And so with that specific type, it is a subtype that applies when the central theme of the delusion is that another person is in love or in a relationship with the individual. And he fully was delusional over Khadija. Yeah. (laughs) yeah you're right to the point where he was like you know like stalking her sitting outside uh her apartment on his bike oh weird stuff that he said where i was like oh no ivan's not okay (laughs) not at all more than a workplace crush and we need to get ivan some help i hope flavor has health insurance um and security (laughs) when safer tried to take over (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i can i didn't even think about that but yes yeah, he was a little too, like, infatuated with Khadija. It was like, you know, sometimes it's, it is funny. Like, yeah, it, is. <laughs> it was hilarious. Right. He was but, fine. So I think stalking, sometimes we excuse it when the person is cute. <laughs> lucky you cute with your weird self. Weird but that's not okay. It's not okay at all. <laughs> and when Khadija, when uh, Grant Hill was in love with Khadija, and they got on the elevator together. He looked at him and said, I wish I was a little bit taller. Oh, that was so funny to me. <laughs> I wish I was taller, but I wish I had all of the people falling in love with me that Khadija did. She Listen. just turned them down left and right. Okay. And then, like, just the whole thing with Scooter, I was like, come on, Khadija, just go. F- just, it was a headache most of the time because it was just like, stop fighting it. Just stop fighting it. Just let it be. You know, you have to Baby, you should let me love you. Like, I feel like that's the scooter just needs to break out into song and dance. (laughs) (laughs) So we pretty much have a good prognosis for everybody on this episode. We definitely see them all getting better. I think that um, in the hasty rush kind of like awkward writing of the last season that they had, they kind of did close everybody's story up um, to give them more so happy endings. So... Mm -hmm it kind of lends itself to a good prognosis for everyone. If you notice, we did not talk about Trip or the Puerto Rican girl that moved in in the last season because nobody really cared about them. And we're angry that they came on to replace Kyle Barker. So while they served their purpose for the final season, they didn't make the cut. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else, Dr. Rosie B, that you would like to add? No, you know, I just, well, I guess I do have something to add. I, I think that this is just another reason why you need to make sure that you have healthy friend groups, you know, um, Mm -hmm. people that are going to be supportive of you, um, that are going to love you and encourage you to be the best version of yourself. So always take stock and inventory of the people that are surrounding you, because those are the people that are really going to be there for you when it's time um, to get through some of your, your difficult moments. That was beautiful. Okay. Is you my friend? I'm, I'm your friend. Okay, okay. <laughs> I got you. I got you. <laughs> so we'll end it there. So be sure to follow us on Instagram at the DSM podcast. And if you would like to support the show to help us get more content out to you all, visit our website to become a Patreon member or donate to our cash app. And you can follow the show link on our website. 
Now, we're happy to get the kind of money that jingles, but we'd rather the kind that folds. And as always, be sure to subscribe to our show wherever you get podcasts and leave us a comment because we're counselors and we actually care what you have to say. So until next time, peace. Okay, bye.